Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Thank you very much, and welcome to another edition of The Coaching Show. I thank you, my dear listener, for being here each and every week, listening to people out on the cutting edge of coaching, people who are leaders in the field, people who are doing something in the exciting world of coaching, professional coaching, and, uh, you know, sort of um, people who are just doing interesting stuff and or wacky. Uh the voice that you next hear will be that of Clarice Connolly. She is our in-studio special co-host today. Clarice, say hello to the people. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, I'm really looking forward to this episode. It's going to be fantastic. Going to talk about conversations. Yay. I am a women's empowerment coach located in San Diego, and I work with women who are essentially you know, last on their list, who are just really frustrated with how life's going and how things are you know, just unfolding and really just looking to ch- change it up, make something happen and get back on their priority and learn to love themselves along the way. So you can find me on my website is empoweringwomen.coach. Empoweringwomen.coach. Mm-hmm. Do you have the other one too? Do I? Yeah. Remember you had a different one. Oh, yeah. Heartandsoul.coach as well. You it, still have that one? Yeah. It reroutes. Oh, nice. Okay, good. Um, That's her. Of course, we want to shout out to our uh, longtime sponsors of this show and our partner, our media partner. Man, we are so grateful and delighted to be a media partner with the International Coach Federation. Our partnership is in its fourth year, so we're serious about it, and it longer than some partnerships I've had. Uh, and it gives us the welcome opportunity to support the fine work of all the folks involved in the association. The International Coach Federation, also known as the ICF, is a leading global organization dedicated to advancing the coaching profession. They do that by setting high standards, by providing independent certification of coaches, as well as credentialing coach training programs, and building a worldwide network of trained coaching professionals, you know, like you and me. Um, As the world's largest organization of professionally trained coaches, the ICF elicits instant credibility for its members. ICF is, I was going to say, like you and me. Uh, ICF is also committed to connecting professional coaches, like you and me, uh, with the tools and resources they need to succeed in our careers. To learn more about the ICF, to stay up to date on the latest news, including the ICF I think they're calling it Converge. The ICF Global Conference mm-hmm. is back this year for after a hiatus of like five years. Uh, you can visit coachfederation.org or follow ICF on Twitter at, at ICFHQ. <laughs> ICFHQ. It gets you every time. We're also delighted to have an ICF representative on our show each and every month. And, man, we've had some great guests recently. If you have not been tuning in or if you want to check out the archives, please do. We've talked to a neurohumorist and found out the uh, brain functions of um, humor. We've talked to people about how you can market better and uh, the author of The Coaching Habit, as well as other leaders, as well as people from the International Coach Federation. Hey, Oh, uh, oh my goodness. But don't even – April 26th? We're going to have, I am so personally excited, Look at like you. over the moon excited to have uh, a certain author on air. Let's and drum roll, please. I know. What is it? Who is Jen Sincero. Oh, you're so excited. I am so excited to have her on. She is amazing, and her book is phenomenal, and now she's got a new one coming out on the 18th. 
And that would be, the book would be You Are a Badass. Making Money Machine, I think. The new one is about you're a badass making money, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, really, need, we need that. Really looking forward to it. Uh, for a moment, I thought we sounded a little bit like the parody of the NPR people on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> okay, so well, we're very excited about that show, but we're also very excited about today's show. Hey, um, we also want to talk about Accomplishment Coaching, our longtime sponsor, and I mean for 15 years, Accomplishment Coaching has sponsored this here program. Would you be? Would you do the honors and tell people about Accomplishment Coaching? Yeah, Accomplishment Coaching is one of the finest, I would say probably the finest coaching uh, education in the world. It's literally the Harvard, the Stanford, the like nothing else compares to it. Honestly, you really get anywhere between 12 months in-person sessions. You get to spend over 300 hours investing in yourself, the personal development, the coaching, the really it's, it's just got it all. And it's seriously something that makes such an impact. The transformation is uncomparable. It's such an amazing, amazing program. And it's really located in five major cities. Okay, I'm ready. What are the cities? Washington, D.C. Nice. Nation's N- capital. New York City. Uh, the, the Big Apple, the best city in the world. Seattle. Mm-hmm. Oh, beautiful city. Uh-huh, uh-huh. San Diego. The, yes, America's finest city. And now in Victoria, British Canada. Columbia in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. For our Canadian friends and enemies, I'm kidding. Uh, you forgot one, Chicago, Illinois. Chicago, yeah, home of the six. blues. Hmm. There you go. All right. Uh, so check out Accomplishment Coaching because, in uh, in all seriousness, the world's finest coach training program, including the one thing that no other coach training program does. Well, there's like six things that no other coach training programs do that they do there, including giving you a year of coaching for free included. Um, but the other thing they do is they invite you to come and observe the coach training program in process. That's right, people, in process. And um, what that means is you can go and check out. It's not like a black box. It's not like a question mark or I'm not sure if I'm going to like these people. You can actually go see what the approach is. You can see what they're doing. You can like actually look around and you know test drive it, uh, which nobody else does. And mm-hmm. frankly, if you're going to mm-hmm. spend money and time doing something, you got to check, check it, it out, out, right? And, you know. Like that. So, the world's finest coach training program, Accomplishment Coaching. Check them out at accomplishmentcoaching.com. Anything else we should talk about today? Our next guest. <laughs> Our next guest. <laughs> uh, boy, I hate, to t- I hate to give you behind-the-scenes information. But here's the thing. If you get a media opportunity like this one, if you get an opportunity to talk to, you know, 30,000 folks or something, take it, show up, be extraordinary. Right, mm-hmm. and here's what not to do is don't like mess around and cancel and make it all all confusing. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we really appreciate our next guest because this guy rock solid. Right. Said he's going to be where he's going to be. Shows up on time and does what he's going to do. We love people like that, and Yay. you know, especially with the media, right? Because mm-hmm. you know we're juggling stuff. You're juggling stuff. We want it to be rock solid. Mister Craig Weber is the author of the best selling book Conversational Capacity the key to building successful teams that perform when the pressure is on. He's also the founder of Webbing, Weber, <laughs> Webbing, uh, wouldn't that be fun? Uh, the Weber Consulting Group, an alliance of experts committed to helping people move through, uh, build more resilient, healthy, and agile organizations and communities. He's an expert on the subject of conversational capacity, hence his book, and adaptive learning. He helps people and teams and organizations and communities improve their performance by treating dialogue 
as a discipline. And I've just shown you what a monologue without discipline is like. So I have a lot to learn from this gentleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's right. got clients from such esteemed places as the Royal Bank of Canada, the CDC in the United States, Kaiser Permanente, Boeing, Los Alamos National Labs, and others. And uh, we're delighted to welcome to our microphone, I believe for the first time, Mr. Craig Weber. Hello, sir. Hello. Thank you for having me. And thanks for being had, as we like to say. Uh, <laughs> here's what I ask everybody. Look around outside. Tell us where you are. What part of the world are you in? I am in the high desert of Southern California, Lancaster, California. Mm. It's, it's going to get hot there. Just yeah, so just know. a bit. Okay. Yeah, it's 80. The wildflowers are blooming. It's actually a beautiful time of year up here oh, right now. Oh, man. Now, I went I'm to sure. go see the wildflowers. It's phenomenal. Nice. All right. Well, let's start at the very beginning. It, it sounds as impressive, you know, the title. I'm sure when people say, oh, we're going to talk to the guy about conversational capacity, it's going to make us all smarter. What, what is conversational capacity? Great question. Um, you can define it in a couple of ways. A simple dictionary def- definition would be this. Conversational capacity refers to the ability to have open, balanced, learning-focused dialogue about really difficult subjects, in challenging, messy circumstances, and even across tough boundaries. And so high conversational capacity in a team, for example, we can put our most difficult, painful, divisive issue on the table and do great work around it. Low conversational capacity and a minor difference of opinion can screw up a team's performance. Okay. So the ability, uh, which I assume includes willingness to have conversations or are we just talking about skill level Uh, it's both i think it's hard to um you can have skill but if you don't have the willingness as you point out uh then skills don't do you much good so i think most people want to be effective they don't get up in the morning and uh you know really relish the idea of being ineffective or perpetuating the mediocrity but i think what often gets in the way of people's performance is that inability to kind of have those balanced, learning-focused conversations under pressure. And so there's a discipline people can acquire for getting better at doing that. Okay. What's, a, what's an example? I, I'm, th- I'm feeling a little bit like we're in the, in the um, academic weeds. What's an example? So, you <laughs> well, know, Clarice and I get together and we're going to talk about the show and what, you know, what needs to happen with the show. What's an example of conversational capacity sort of at the low end and then at the higher or more developed end? Well, let's do this. Let me get the second definition out. Then I think it'll be easier to answer that question. Apologies. Yeah. No, no, that's all right. And I think um, another way to think about this is there's a place you want to be working when you're dealing with a really tough issue. And this could be true of a team. It could be true of an individual. And there's a place I refer to simply as the sweet spot. And the sweet spot is that place in a conversation where you've got two things at once. Uh, On the one hand, there's lots of candor. The conversations are open. They're honest. They're forthright. They're direct. Uh, You're not left wondering what people around the table are thinking uh, because candor is extremely high. What keeps all that candor from overheating, however, and just becoming a headbutting exercise or an argument. Or an opinion session, right. Uh Exactly, an opinion session. People are just kind of talking past each other. The other key piece is it's got to be balanced with curiosity. People are open-minded. They're inquisitive. They want to learn. When you and I are talking and we see the world differently, we don't get upset or defensive. We get curious. Huh, interesting. And so I think that's what you really need to orchestrate are conversations where candor and curiosity are in balance. And when we leave the sweet spot, when conversational capacity starts to plummet, it's almost always because we've let go of one pole or the other. 
So if I'm in a meeting, for example, uh, to your question, and I let go of candor, I become overly guarded and cautious. So I might be sitting in a meeting with a really good idea or a really big concern, but I'm, nothing's coming out of my mouth because candor is dropped. If I'm in the same meeting and I let go of curiosity, I tend to trigger out of the sweet spot the other direction. Uh, I become arrogant. I become argumentative. I start throwing my opinions around as facts. So we could define conversational capacity additionally as the ability to stay in the sweet spot, candid and curious in challenging circumstances. And again, I think you'd need to cultivate this as individuals. It's hard for us in a, in a workplace to be as effective as we'd like to be if we lack this ability. But then how do you also cultivate it in the workplace or in a team? Yeah, I'm, I'm also mapping it onto leadership in my mind. And I'm noticing that there's something that I'm not quite fitting into the model, which is when it's not candor, but it's or, – or I should say it is candor, but it's not true. In other words, where leaders say one thing and do another. You may wonder where I'm getting that idea. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. I yeah, and that, <laughs> took a minute. Well, go ahead, Clarice. <laughs> no, I'm She's sorry. just catching up. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, but you know what I mean? Like, they're, like it seems like the person's being uh, – like they're bringing candor, but really they're just freaking lying. Yeah, and that's a, that's, a, that's a serious problem. I think you see that sometimes when people are trying to win an argument yes. uh, in extreme circumstances, they will start to make things up. So that can be a strategy to try to get thing, you know, to get a, a decision made your way, making up information, making up research, uh, maybe exaggerating claims. Hyperbole can be another strategy as well. So there's a whole range of behaviors when people leave the sweet spot and are just pushing their view at the expense of – you know, making the smartest choice or even an honest choice. Got it. Okay. So, I, so I'm hearing that in the background or maybe as a foundation for this conversational capacity, trying to get to this sweet spot of candor and curiosity is, um, uh, are some things that are sort of like foundational, like transparency, like authenticity and integrity. Is that, am I picking up what you're laying down? I think, well, a way to think about this is if you have a team with high conversational capacity, it's going to create an environment where there's less game playing and less nonsense and less BS, quite frankly, because people are good at calling it out on the table and dealing with it directly. If someone is not telling the truth, for example, a team with high conversational capacity is more likely to call that out on the table and address it, whereas a team with low conversational capacity often won't. And wow. so how do you create an environment where that kind of game-pulling and nonsense is less likely to occur because people will confront it and address it, not in a finger-pointing way, but in a constructive manner. How, how do you think that someone who's either more one on the one end of the spectrum or the other, how do they essentially find that balance? Yeah, that's the real challenge. And people tend to be prone to one side of the sweet spot or the other. Mm -hmm. And I talk um, in the book about two powerful tendencies that tend to pull us out of the sweet spot because yeah, you could think, hey, candor and curiosity and balance, I like that, not that typical, but thanks, Craig. Do we need to spend an entire hour on this? Right. Right? It's like, Duh. but it, it's simple in concept, but it turns out very difficult in practice. And it's difficult because human nature works directly against it. We all inherited at birth a couple of tendencies that when things get difficult, when, when, when the pressure's on, they tend to trigger us out of the sweet spot in surprising and often disturbing ways. Mm -hmm. And so part of the discipline of learning to stay in the sweet spot is learning to recognize those two tendencies. And first and foremost, how are they affecting your own behavior? But secondly, how are they affecting behavior, uh, the behavior of people around the table, people with whom you're trying to work to solve a problem, make a decision, or you know, address an issue? And so those tendencies are the real challenge, learning to recognize mm -hmm. them and then learning to manage them. Mm -hmm. awesome. And so... 
So go go ahead. I'm I'm looking for some real life examples here, or something that we could use or steal today. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me uh, let me give you an example of how one of these tendencies affected my own behavior um, in a fairly disturbing way. And this happened to me at a very early age. I actually opened my book with this story. And in elementary school, I had a really good friend who lived down the street from me, and he was an epileptic. And one day on the playground at recess, he fell down and had a violent seizure. Uh, And so he's laying there on the ground in serious physical distress. But to make things a whole lot worse, a group of kids a little older than us had gathered around making fun of him, laughing at him, and calling him names. And so I went charging across the playground to help my friend with the clearest intentions in the world. I knew exactly what to do get down on my hands and knees and help my friend and push back on those kids making fun of him. Mm -hmm. So get down and help out, speak up. And with those very clear intentions, I ran to the scene and I froze in my tracks. I did not do anything. Uh, And that was deeply disturbing. And what I realized today is that that help out and speak up were not the only intentions in my head. There was a deeper set of things that were important to me. I don't want to be the one they're making fun of. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to risk my social standing. I don't want to get beat up. And so I had what I refer to as an intentional conflict. My goals were twofold. One is to help out and speak up, but two is watch out, shut up. And what happened on the playground that morning is watch out, one out. And so what often hijacks our good intentions in life, especially in really tough conversations, is a need, as Chris Argerus and Don Schoen said in their research, to minimize the level of negative emotion, conflict, risk, or discomfort in a conversation. And so I may want to raise my hand in a meeting and say something, but suddenly I find myself unable to do it, just like me on the playground, because my good intentions are hijacked by a need to play it safe and not rock the boat or not make a career-limiting move. So this need to minimize often comes at the expense of candor. So I'm, I'm hearing this as something that we're all com- familiar with, which is fear stops our sort of best uh, and highest intentions, mm-hmm. right? When, exactly. Yeah. So is it more important to identify the uh, – I guess my question is what do we do about it? In other words, is it, is it more, intention, is it more f- important to focus on and identify the thing in the way and get back to our original intention? Or is there something else you'd have us look at? No, I think that's exactly it. And so what I help people build is a, first off, a a mindset that you refocus on when you notice yourself being triggered. So first and foremost, awareness is key. How do I get better at recognizing in the heat of the moment when my need to minimize is putting candor at risk? Where am I starting to, when am I starting to slide out of the sweet spot? Yeah. And then there's some skills you can learn. And this goes back to Clarice's question a couple of minutes ago. So that when my need to minimize is getting triggered, there's a couple of candor skills we can use to keep that need to, uh, need to minimize from compromising my effectiveness. And so I can share those skills here in a couple of minutes. The problem, too, is that that need to minimize isn't the only tendency. That's only one of the big tendencies that tends to pull us out of the sweet spot. So if that was the only thing affecting us, we'd have our work cut out for us. Yeah. And I – I use examples of you know nurses not speaking up in the hospital right, when they see right. a doctor making a mistake to co-pilots not speaking up on the flight deck of an aircraft. This need to minimize is huge. And one of the things I point out in my work is nothing triggers it more predictably than the presence of authority. So if there's a hierarchy difference in an organiz- in, a, in a meeting or a conversation or an organization, this need to minimize becomes a real problem because people have a harder time being candid around the boss. And so in my work with executives and CEOs, I would say, just your presence pushes people away from the table when your job is to pull them toward it. Right. Add to that some aggressive behavior from time to time, and you just compounded the problem. And, and I tend to work with leaders. So what do you have the leader take on or be responsible for in that, in that 
regard. Because, you know, we all yeah. <laughs> there's a scene in um, Spectre, the James Bond movie, where uh, the bad guy, you know, there's already a, a huge meeting of bad guys. And um, then, like, the ultimate bad guy shows up and the, the light is behind him. So you can't really see his face. He's just a shadow and he walks in, but everybody stops. And then he walks over and sits down very deliberately and then nods his head and then they start to speak. And that's kind of like, uh, you know, it's a d- over exaggeration, but it's not uncommon in, in the boardrooms, communities, and organizations that we work in, right? You're absolutely right. And I'm not, I'm not even sure it's that much of an over-exaggeration. That's kind <laughs> of the impact uh, somebody has when they walk into a meeting. You will see the meeting shift immediately. Right. Um, so they may not be backlit, but... Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I bring my own with me, but yeah. I get <laughs> yeah, fog machine, a backlight, you know, really go for the effect. Pyro. I think what, what I see a lot of leaders doing is under-recognizing and therefore under-managing how their presence affects the people around mm, them. Mm-hmm. And so I worked with an executive a while back who said, I spent a lot of time getting the smartest, brightest, most capable people I could find on this team. When they're not speaking up, they're stealing from the business. They're actually being paid for something they're not delivering. They're stealing. Mm-hmm. But then he said, I also realize now more than ever that my own behavior encourages the theft. Nice. And so I think, you know, that's kind of how do we not encourage people to steal? You know, because if I don't create an environment where people can be as candid as they need to be, I may have A players, but only getting C-level performance. I may have some really good ideas at the, you know, in the room, but I'm not getting access to them. Really good. So we can, man, I love that piece. And, and we could delve down into more about how a leader can manage his or her um, uh, presence, really, to impact the conversational capacity in a positive way versus a negative way versus shutting yes. it down. But um, I, I guess what I'm looking for next is what are some of the symptoms you look for when you're addressing – so you walk into an organization, right? you got the new eyes. You're the, you're the guy there to make a difference or you and your team are. And um, what are some of the symptoms you look for that tell you, hey, conversational capacity is, is – what do you call it? Low or out or misaligned? What do you call it? Yeah. Low. Low is perfect. You know, it, those two major symptoms when conversational capacity is lacking in a team or an organization. And usually in interviews, you can hear about this. Sometimes just in anecdotal conversations, you start picking it up. Um, the first symptom would be the presence of undiscussable issues in the group, those issues that are coming up in the hallway, but not in the, the meeting. Ah. So in almost every organization, almost every relationship has those undiscussable issues that people just fear to put on the table. The other sign is the, uh, the presence of unproductively discussable issues, those issues that, yes, they do come up, they hit the table, but it's not productive. The conversations spark more heat than light. There's arguing, there's bickering, there's headbutting. Like you said, it's opinion fest. Um, those are the two basic symptoms. And so when you see teams starting to lose traction, it's either because they're not having conversations they need to have or they're having conversations, but they're not productive. It's really like rams and rutting season, butting heads on the side of a mountain <laughs> rather than an actual conversation. I have worked in those places. Uh, yeah. Beautiful description. Did, um, so I'm imagining that you show up kind of in your Clint Eastwood, you know, uh, hang them high kind of steely gaze <laughs> and look around and see this going on. What's the first place that you go to impact that? I mean, is there something like, do you start at the top? Do you go after the, you know, the biggest guy in the prison yard? How do you, uh, yeah, how do you address this sort of culture that seemingly permeates everyone? Kind of depends on the project. There's Mm -hmm. typically two ways I am used by a client. One as 
a fence at the top of the cliff, the other an ambulance at the bottom. Mm. So a lot of times if it's an ambulance at the bottom, we're doing some remedial work trying to turn around a team that's not doing well. We'll start with that team. I think when it's a fence at the top of the cliff, the organizations know they're going through change or there's some sort of growth problem or whatever it might be. A lot of times starting at the top is the key because that's where really culture is set. Mm -hmm. So it depends on the project and how I'm being used. But there's very little likelihood that uh, conversational capacity is going to be built sustainably if the senior team isn't you know taking direct responsibility for it it's really it's really critical i think that you know i forgive me i'm sort of focused on it cuz i'm coaching a bunch of leaders right now and um and each of them you know it seems sometimes like news to them that the organizational culture is their job do you have any um pushback when you start to uh, hold the leaders accountable for the culture of the organization? No, I, I really don't. I don't get much pushback. I think more what I get is you know, frustration. They're not exactly sure what to do. I mm-hmm. think a lot of the leaders I know, they, they recognize it's their job, but it's not something they've been trained to do. It's not something they're good at. They don't even know what it, you know, how to approach the problem. And if you want to frustrate somebody who's really smart and who really cares, <laughs> give them a problem they don't know how to tackle. And so I that's the bigger challenge, I think, is giving them practical skills for actually directing the culture. And so, you know, the quote I use a lot is from Bob Keegan, the adult developmental psychologist at Harvard, who said, any organization is a community of discourse. Leadership is about shaping the nature of the discourse. And I think that's one thing I try to help leaders do is figure out how do you create an environment where the way people interact and communicate, the, 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 the cultural norms in the organization line up with what you're trying to accomplish. So your, your culture and your strategy are working together. And I think a great way to do that is start changing the way people communicate and interact with each other, the values by which they operate and the skills with which they put those values into use. That's kind of the key idea. Well, it's, I want to I want to follow up on that, but I think Clarice, we're about to go um, on a break. Do you want to let people know how to find out more about Mr. Weber and his work? Yeah, absolutely. He can be found on the web at WeberConsultingGroup.net. So W E B E R. So one B. One B. ConsultingGroup.net. Great. Also, the book is Conversational Capacity. And you can find that anywhere fine books are sold, but of course, by going to WeberConsultingGroup.net. We'll be back with more with Craig Weber and talking about conversational capacity as well as how it can impact our coaching and what we might be missing right here between us. You're listening to The Coaching Show, The Coaching Share, The Coaching Show. I'm going to learn to speak English on the break. right here at wsradio.com or wherever fine podcasts are available. It's the Worldwide Leader in Internet Talk. And we'll be back with more right after this. Hi, Mary. Our growth has me looking for new furniture, but I can't find the right vendor. Can you help? For sure. Do you know a company that will give me a great value? For sure. Do you know a company that provides great selection? For sure. Do you know a company that is professional and responsive? For sure, it's Shore. Shore Office Warehouse has been providing great value, service, and selection for over 40 years. It's Shore, for sure. ShoreOfficeWarehouse.com. Hi, this is Rob Barnett, CM founder of VinVillage.com and the Wine and Dine Show on VinVillage Radio. Do you have a wine, event, product, or service to promote? Then contact VinVillage.com to reach thousands of wine lovers across the country. Vin Village connects like-minded wine enthusiasts with unique and exclusive wines, events, products, and services. To learn more, contact us on vinvillage.com. Vin Village is where wine lovers connect. 
Do you want to be a professional coach? Are you in business trying to make a real difference with people you manage or work with? Have you started a coaching practice that isn't quite getting off the ground? Get the skills you need to be a successful coach today with the Coach's Training Program from Accomplishment Coaching. The Coach's Training Program will show you how to help others focus and be more fulfilled. Whether you want to improve your company's bottom line or create a thriving coaching practice, Accomplishment Coaching can give you the distinctions and practices you need to coach others effectively today. Accomplishment Coaching has spent six years developing a cutting-edge coaches training program that will have you ready to coach people professionally in just 12 months, and you don't have to take time off work to do it. To find out more about the coaches training program, just call 1-888-548-6813. That's 1-888-548-6813. Gotham Books presents Marriage Rules by Harriet Lerner. The book Martha Beck calls required reading for anyone hoping to interact successfully with any other human, not just for those in romantic relationships. Get your copy wherever books and ebooks are sold and visit harrietlearner.com to learn how to change your marriage today.